Listen to WGN Radio's newest podcast, Behind the Badge, Illinois, hosted by David Hochberg. Behind the Badge, Illinois, views current events through the eyes of Illinois law enforcement leaders. Tune in. Visit WGNRadio.com slash Behind the Badge. It's Day Player live from the Allstate Showcase Studios on Chicago's very own 720 WGN. So I first discovered our guest as the hot blonde in the T-Bird in the coming-of-age film American Graffiti before she landed her iconic role as a delightfully ditzy Chrissy Snow in the 70s and 80s on the classic ABC sitcom Three's Company, which she co-starred with John Ritter and Joyce DeWitt. Then later in the 1990s sitcom Step by Step with Dallas veteran Patrick Duffy, she co-hosted a CBS version of vintage TV classic Candid Camera, and the list goes on. Suzanne is also a New York Times bestselling author, entrepreneur, and hosts the empowering talk show Suzanne Summers Breaking Through, and she's joining us tonight. Hello, Suzanne. Good evening. So I actually threw in American Graffiti last night, <laughs> just to prep <laughs> well, myself. It, I mean, it really was so pivotal. It was pivotal. Well, that's what I was going to ask you. It's it's such a classical piece of Americana, and, and there you were, a vision and a goddess, which I believe Richard Dreyfuss called you. And w- <laughs> was was that your first credited role in a movie? Was that, was that a movie that kind of put you on the map? Yes, and I had no idea uh, uh, of the impact. I had no idea who any of these people were. I had no idea who... Uh, George Lucas was. I had heard of Francis Coppola, and I remember the first night in the trailer, uh, George Lucas and Coppola came in t- to uh, talk to the cast, and the cast was, as you know, Harrison Ford and Richard Dreyfus and Cindy Williams and Ron Howard and Paul Lamatt and um, Candy Clark, and it sure didn't look like a really illustrious group to me. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Well, very new. Everyone was very new. Everyone was at the beginning of their careers. And I remember George saying to me, everyone's going to remember the blonde in the Thunderbird. And I thought, yeah, right. And then when I saw it, I was even more disappointed because it was maybe, what, five seconds? Yeah. And you just whispered. You just whispered your line, barely. And the night before, because it was my first speaking part ever, I, I practiced. I had a buffet for George. I could say I love you a hundred different ways and um in fact when i did my one woman broadway show which was called the blonde and the thunderbird right we wrote um a song ken and missy welsh wrote this uh special material for me called how do i say i love you and it was all about all the different ways that i figured out how i could just wow him and i get in the car and he leans and he says oh by the way just mouth it <laughs> I, I like that it was that, and it was very impactful well, I mean, that's why he's the filmmaker that he is. But, <laughs> that's right. Uh, you know, I made $136.72. Oh, so you're getting and, some residual checks, too, then. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> they've stopped coming, as you can imagine, yeah. about 40 years ago. And um, uh, But it it was the the five seconds that gave me my career. And, and it was probably just because of the positioning. It was George Lucas. It was a sleeper movie that uh, no one uh, had any expectations for or about, and all of a sudden this movie takes over. And I was really so broke at the time um, that I had to scrape together the money to see it. I, you know, I, I really had no idea. And so I never understood the impact until I was, you know, I had been a single teenage mother, and I was living in Sausalito and kind of feeling like a loser, and I'd always wanted to be in this business, and... 
um, because I got pregnant at 17, um, I had to leave school. But even at that, I had, I had gotten a scholarship to college and was accelerated to the first year in fine arts. And I got the leads in the uh, musicals always at school. And, and in my last year of high school, I did Guys and Dolls. I was Adelaide. And uh, probably nobody listening will remember Walter Winchell, but Walter Winchell. Oh, yeah. Um, was quite somebody in his era of, as a columnist. And he came to this production. He had heard about it. And at the end of the show that night, he came on stage, and he came right up to me. And in his uh, uh, Damon Runyon-esque voice, <laughs> said to me, you're going someplace, sister. And I remember thinking, wow. And then... And I had all these big dreams, and then I got pregnant, and at that time it just sort of um, put your life on hold or on stop. But isn't it true that everybody in their life has, like, one person that has said something so inspirational to you like that that really kind of drove you at that time? Well, I mean, it, uh, yeah, I I would think so, if you're lucky. Right. And uh, whatever he saw... It had to, he had to see it in its rawest form because, you know, I was probably 16 when he came. Um, but then, of course, I did get a, a, a music scholarship to college, so uh, obviously other people saw. So when I was living in Sausalito, a, now a 19- or 20-year-old divorced mother, um, no money, I didn't know how to make a living, so I was always combing... Uh, the newspapers, and I'd get a hold of a copy of the trades from a friend of mine who worked at in the news department at ABC, and I was looking through the trades one day, and there was this um, ad, uh, or whatever they called them at the time, for a guest star on Dom DeLuise's sitcom called <laughs> Lots of Luck. Mm-hmm. And when I read it, it described me. Small town girl, has no idea of what she looks like, which I didn't. I just somehow knew when I read this, I thought I could do that. And I gathered together the money to fly to Los Angeles, which I think was 25 bucks at that time. Wow. It was really hard for me. Yeah, but at that time, that's that a lot of money. It's a lot of money, yeah. Yeah, and um, ignorance is bliss. I uh, got myself to NBC. Uh, why are you here? I'm here for the Dom DeLuise show because I didn't know you need an agent. I didn't know you need to be <laughs> set up. Oh, yeah. Um, it's over there, go down the hall, I go down the hall, I walk in, I see all these other girls signing in, so I signed in, they hand me a script, and all the other girls are reading a script, so I read the script, and then they call me in to read, and when I finished, the producers, I remember it was Sam Denoff and Bill Persky, and and they said, very nice. Dick Van Dyke Show, Dick Van Dyke Show, I believe, right? Correct, yeah, Yeah. and and so many others, like giants, and they said, we're going to give you a call back, and I said, thank you, so I go out to the receptionist, and I said, I have a callback. She said, well, good for you. And I said, what is that? (laughs) (laughs) And she looked at me and she said, they're going to call you back. (laughs) I went, when? She said, I don't know. Now I'm her problem, right? right. (laughs) (laughs) Where do I go? She said, I don't know. Why don't you go sit in the commissary? So I go sit in the commissary and I'm all alone. It's about two o'clock in the afternoon. And the only resume I had was I had written this book of poetry that I got published and um, on the back, my only, my only credit was uh, The Blonde and the Thunderbird in American Graffiti. So I used that as my resume. So I had a few in my purse. And in walks Johnny Carson and his producer, Fred DeCordova. And I'm the only person there. So Johnny walks by and goes, hey, little lady, what are you doing here? 
And I said, I have a callback, because now I had some lingo. <laughs> right, right. <clears throat> and uh, he said, uh, oh, yeah, what for? I said, Dom Bill, he's, ah, he's a friend of mine. He's a good guy. Yeah, I hope you get it. And so after they left, I thought, why don't I take a chance? So I go to the Tonight Show office, and I leave a copy of my little poetry book for Johnny Carson and one for Fred de Cordova and one for both of their secretaries. And that was Wednesday. And on Friday night, my first time ever on television, I'm standing behind the curtain, that famous curtain mm-hmm. at the Tonight Show, and I hear, I thought, God, they must really love my poetry. And I hear him say, we've all been wondering who the mysterious blonde in the Thunderbird was. Well, we found her. And they opened the curtain and the audience went, whoo. And that was the moment I realized that uh, that American graffiti had that impact and that the blonde in the Thunderbird had impact. And I'm sitting next to Johnny Carson. It was surreal, as you can imagine. First yeah. time on television, yeah. sitting talking to him and he loved me because I was so unpolished and so unfinished that he started having me on every month to read him poetry with like this gimmick and all of a sudden my poetry book became the number one best-selling poetry book in America again all surreal and um, that went on for a number of years I worked off that little book for so long and one of those times they had done two pilots so far for Three's Company, and they weren't happy with the Chrissy Snow in either of those pilots, and it was Fred Silverman, who was the head of ABC Television at the time, he said, you know, I see this girl on the Tonight Show. On the Tonight Show, Show. right, right. all the time. He said, let's bring her in, and that is how I got Three's Company. Well, well, one little line. One little line, that's all it was, and we're going to talk to Suzanne Summers about that next on 720 WGN. Dave Plyer on 720 WGN. We're talking to Suzanne Summers about Three's Company, the complete series coming out on DVD this week, the Come and Knock on My Door edition, and as well as her groundbreaking health and beauty business. And by the way, this Tuesday, almost 30 years after the final episode aired on ABC, Three's Company, the complete series, Come and Knock on My Door collection is being released with all 174 episodes, two original pilots, never seen before bloopers, both included John Ritter's Jack, as well as both actors who played the Ropers, And as Suzanne said to us before we went to break, there was a couple other people that played her role of Chrissy Snow. So how did you get the call? Um, Another interesting story. I was then in love with my then-boyfriend, Alan Hamill, who's been my husband Husband. now Mm -hmm. for 40. We've been together 47 years. That's incredible. And um, we were on a vacation in Eleuthera in the Caribbean, and... Uh, we were flying home, and it was the first time that it had ever snowed in the Caribbean. And we're in this little, oh, you know, chopper kind of how, uh, propeller plane to get to Miami. And uh, hitting just terrible air pockets and thunder and lightning all around. And the pilot starts screaming, put your head between your knees, put your head between your knees. And there are two native ladies on the plane started wailing because they say, Lord, we're going to die. Lord, we're going to die. <laughs> And my hus- my boyfriend, who is now my husband, and I said our kind of last words to one another because we were, we oh, were heading down. And I thought, oh, my God, it's over. And I really was in this place. And somehow the pilot regained control, and we landed in Miami. 
And um, the next day, I'm back in L.A. Uh, 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 no, uh, yeah, I had moved to L.A. by that time. And um, no, I hadn't moved to L.A. yet. I was I was with him in L.A. And um, the phone rings from this friend of my husband, who was sort of acting sort of like an agent, but she wasn't. And she said. I I got a call from ABC for a show called Three's Company, and they're really interested in you. And I said, you know, I almost died last night, and um, <laughs> yeah. I, I I'm just this is not the business for me. I I I really think that I could make a nice living and be very satisfied teaching cooking and writing poetry well, that's who i am and well, that's what i want to do and i don't want to go on this interview it's it i just can't do it <clears throat> she said well they're really really interested in you and she talked me into it so i went in really not caring and i think that's how you get apart <laughs> and I think you're right uh, <laughs> i wasn't desperate i wasn't right. trying to please i was just like this is my last interview yeah. and it was almost like ugh, what a relief <laughs> uh, now i i can kind of focus my life on something that I actually could pull off. I could pull off teaching cooking. And um, so I read. They said, thank you very much. I drive home, and I think, done, over. I'm out of show business, even though I was never really in it. And uh, hopefully Johnny Carson will still have me on if I write another poetry book. And over. And, and life will be good. Yeah, life will be good. Mm-hmm. And maybe this man will marry me. <laughs> <laughs> Which he did, but go ahead. <laughs> Eventually. And the phone rings, and it's this kind of sort of uh, kind of an agent who wasn't really no papers and nothing. She said, "Oh my God, oh my God, you got the part!" And I said, "Wow!" I was so over. I said, "What part?" She said, Three's Company," <laughs> and wow. I couldn't believe it. Again, this surreal thing happened, and um, I walked onto the set that first day with John Ritter and Joyce DeWitt, who were both so highly trained, feeling inadequate. And I told them all, I said, I, I just have to tell you, um, I have a supreme interest in this craft, but it was cut short by life events, and I, I will do everything I can to pull this off and learn. And there was one producer of Nichols, Ross, and West, uh, Mickey Ross, who was an old vaudevillian, and he took me under his wing, kind of like Henry Higgins mm-hmm. took uh, Eliza Doodle, uh, Doolittle under yep. his wing. Yep. And he worked with me in the way that, remember Nadia Komenich and her oh, yeah. um, coach? And her coach, yeah. Yep, yep. Remember, and, and remember Nadia do a flip on the board, and she first thing she'd do, not listen to the audience, she'd look over to at her coach. her coach. Absolutely. And he'd either give her a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Well, that's how that's the relationship. Mickey Ross worked with me. Um, I would do a scene, and when I finished, I looked right at him, and he'd call me over, and he'd either give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down, and he uh, he taught me to hear the music of comedy. And I remember one day, if you watch the episodes, it's fun that these are all going to be out. It, the year one, I was hanging on by my claws, and I think <laughs> I succeeded because I was so raw. It was so... Um, unpolished uh, it was um, so naive and I was so naive I even looked different I didn't I had right. never had my hair or makeup done yep, professionally right. yep. by year two uh, I, I, professional people had started taking over my hair and makeup and my look was changing and I'm 
met this one hairdresser, Bjorn, who was always stoned, and <laughs> and um, he, he said to me one day, baby... And probably very creative, by the way. Very creative. <laughs> and, and he said, I think Chrissy Snow should have snow white hair and big pink cheeks and dark eyes, and I said, do it. So he made my hair snow white, and that's when the character really took off, because I looked in the mirror, and I looked like Chrissy Snow. And so one day, in kind of three-quarters of the way through the second season, I'm watching John Ritter, and it hit me. <gasps> oh, comedy is musical. It's set up, <laughs> set up beat. I'm musical. I always got the leads in all the musicals. I get music. And that was when it took off. I got it. I was able to give her a, a moral code, what she would and wouldn't do, sure. uh, in a way that the audience um, would anticipate her because they knew what she would and wouldn't do. It's delicious to do a character when the audience laughs before you do it. Right, right. They know Just the anticipation, do. exactly. Yeah. Exactly, so... Well, did, a, did the producers allow you to, to develop the character, or did they completely control what was happening in front of the camera, or did you have a piece of that? Well, after a while, the chemistry and the dance between John Ritter and myself, Jack and Chrissy, um, became so enormous that they what we rehearsed in the rehearsal room was there. But they had isolated cameras on both of us, and because it was tape. Uh, and not film, you didn't have to be so specific as to hit your mark. On tape, the whole set is lit. If you're doing a film series, you can't ad lib because it's only lit for that X that's on the floor. It's very I find film very limiting in that way. And so when the audience would laugh at something we didn't anticipate in rehearsal, Jack and Chrissy would keep on going. And those were those delicious moments that couldn't be written. They were just incredible it was a pretty scandalous and racy for the time on television you know <laughs> i was i was nine in 77 and i will tell you that initially my folks um would not let me watch the show that first season they finally warmed up because they, i think they realized it was probably less about the sexual references and double entendres and more of the just the fun simple slapstick humor that really kind of took over the show and in the first four years even though the critics weren't fond of the show the show was consistently in the top 10 three of the four seasons uh, that you were on or the first four seasons it was number two for the first two years number three it was really the golden age of the series when you were on and at a time that will never happen again only three choices there was ABC, NBC, and CBS, right, and everybody right. was watching ABC because True. of that Tuesday night lineup with Happy Days, Shirley, um, Three's Company, and Happy Days. Right. It was really quite a powerhouse night. Yeah, it's, it's it's funny that um, it was considered risque in light of what what's on TV today. Oh yeah, it was it was non-sexual. I mean, nothing was ever going on right. in that house. Chrissy Snow was finally kissed, I think, in the last season. And that was that scene where Jack and Janet, who really were the parents, were pacing, and where is she, and where is she? I knew we shouldn't have let her go out. If you really analyze it, if I was the child and they were the parents. Right. And Jack opens the door, and there I am um, with my arms around my date's neck, my his arms around my waist, and my feet were 
uh, in the air, bowed out, one one going one direction, one going the other, the way you would expect Chrissy Snow would yeah. get kissed for the first yeah. time. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> The most non-sexual kiss ever on television. So it was really, um, there's something very safe about this series. the series. I don't know why the critics at that time didn't want to like Three's Company. There's something about it that irritated the press. We never got good press. Yeah. Um, and Chrissy Snow never got good press. And um, in looking back, uh, uh, I think Chrissy Snow was a delicious character. I think Jack Tripper was a delicious character. And last year I was lying in bed one Saturday night, watching Saturday Night Live, and on comes Lady Gaga, Justin Timberlake, and I don't know who the third person was. Mm-hmm. But anyway... A Lady Gaga was playing Chrissy Snow, and Justin Timberlake was Jack, and they were doing this mock-up of, if it's three-way, then it ain't gay. And they did this whole song and dance thing, and I looked at my husband, and I said, amazing that they fired me, and here, all these years later, the character is still iconic. Of course. Maybe, Maybe by getting fired... Uh, it left the country wanting more. That's all I've ever heard of. Oh, I miss you on that show. Oh, why aren't you doing that show anymore? So, um, well, that was the thing. Yeah, that was the thing. Yeah. After four successful seasons, you know, the fourth season came along. The show was rated number two, handful of points from number one. You were looking for an increase in salary, and which would put you on par with most of the male actors in a top ten show. The Fonz became the breakout star on Happy Days. J.J. Walker became the breakout star on Good Times. And although it was truly an ensemble, you, John, and Joyce, producers felt John was the star of the show, and that Ray's was never going to come. And was it was it because it was a time in history where it was more of a male-dominated business that was running it, and they didn't recognize the contribution? Absolutely. And, and I don't say this as um, a female victim. I've never been a victim. But um, my contract was up. I had every right to renegotiate. Yeah. When I went in and said, the men in television on lesser shows than mine, are making 10 and 15 times more than I am. Um, And I have the highest demographics of any woman on television at that time. Uh, They wanted to make an example so that no other woman in television at that time would get uppity and ask for parity. And I've gotten a call, an inside call, from um, someone at ABC very high up, and they said to my husband, they said, look, They're going to hang a nun in the marketplace, and it's going to be Suzanne. Uh, So just know that going in. And I thought, why would they want to get rid of Chrissy Snow? Why would would they want to do that? That's like getting rid of uh, Edith with Archie Bunker. I mean, even as a viewer. Great, but he needed Edith to play off of, and same thing. And I think the reason that John never talked to me again was he was so angry at losing his great sparring partner. Yeah, that's a shame. Because I was to say, I, you, it, the relationships didn't get maintained after after that happened. It still was a top twenty show, but it wasn't the same. It wasn't number one, number two, number five. Right. It, it it dropped quite a bit, and it's a shame that that it broke some of the personal relationships. Oh, terrible! You had the, going the, on too. The, um, it's an interesting story. This Mickey Ross, who um, took me under his wing, I believe. This is my belief that in that process, he fell in love with me in the way that a father would desire his daughter but knows it's wrong. And so there was never any overtures. But when I married Alan Hamill, his demeanor towards me changed so much. And when the day of the negotiation came, Mm -hmm. 
um, when my contract was up, um, it was my husband, who was then my manager, who went in to ABC, the lawyer's office. His name was George Sunderland, and Mickey Ross was sitting there. And my husband always describes the scene. He walks in, and Mickey Ross is a chain smoker, and he smokes with his thumb and his first finger, one of those kind of smokers. Mm-hmm. And he's sitting there smoking uh, that, uh, kind of violently. And my husband says, as you realize, Suzanne has you know, brought enormous visibility to the show, and she's got the highest demographics of any woman in television. Every year she's on a minimum of 40 to 50 national magazine covers. She's been featured in Barbara Walters and had her own specials and everything, and yet the men are making 10 to 15 times more. So she would like you to pay what she's paying um, some of the men. And um, Mickey Ross uh, took his cigarette and threw it on the floor of the ABC lawyer's office and stomped it out on the floor and comes over to my husband and leans over him and says, you want me to share my blood with her? And my husband leaned forward and said, yes. And um, he said, she's fired. And that was... Wow. Wow. And then... uh, uh, Fired was one thing, but they forced me to work off your contract. My contract. Yeah, yeah. So that's when they relegated me to one minute at the end of the show, a phone call from my sick aunt's house calling Jack and Janet, who I never saw again or talked to. I was just talking to a dead telephone. It's amazing. And would say, oh, I miss you so much, but she's still so sick, and and I'm, I don't know when I'll be back, and that went on for the rest of the season. When they show the episodes, they never show those one minutes because they're pathetic. And uh, the sometimes when I think about it, it was so crazy because um, they would have um, a guard meet me out at the back door. We were taping at CBS, even though it was an ABC show. Walk me into a cordoned-off corridor. I wasn't allowed to interact or see anybody else yeah, in the show, like so a prisoner. Horrible. Yeah. I'd go in, my hair and makeup person would do my uh, uh, my um, beauty stuff, and then I'd be taken out to this poorly lit little corner set, away from the other set. I didn't see one person from the crew. A chair, a lamp, and a telephone, and I'd do my minute and then go home. And I would leave crying every week because it was so wrong. It yeah. was so wrong. So it was, um, I think after that, there, there were, uh, I remember at one of the uh, NAPP, or, or whatever the convention is where they sell syndicated yep, shows, yep. I think it's NAPP, one of the executives got up and said, um, the, the loss in syndication fees with the firing of uh, Suzanne Summers is in the untold millions and maybe more, because the, the shows without the Chrissy Snow character just um, don't get the same revenue as the other ones. I bet. So I think after that, the next one who asked for money was Roseanne, and they gave it to her no problem. She got Mm $750,000 a week. And people go, $750,000? Well, if you knew what the back-end revenue, if you knew that this goes into billions, it's uh, chump change. And this business is one that um, there are no guarantees. If you go to law school, you'll be a lawyer. If you go to med school, you'll be a doctor, and you're going to make an income. Some are better than others, of course. You you are an actor, or you study acting, or you have ability. You're never guaranteed that you will ever, ever get a job. Think of all the, the talent that's sitting there that will never be seen or heard. So if you do hit it, 
If you do luck into a threes company, it's your golden moment and to make the most of. And I had never had any money in my life, and I felt very deserving of it, that yeah. I sold as many tickets as any of those men that were getting paid those enormous salaries. So. Sure. Sure. Now, I know you said you didn't really speak to anybody for so many years now, and I know you had Joyce DeWitt on your show uh, a couple of years ago on YouTube. Mm-hmm. And I remember when it came out, and I remember where I saw it on social media, where I saw it, that it was happening. And I remember watching it that day. It was such a sense of urgency to see the two of you together. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at it on YouTube now, 1.1 million views. Mm-hmm. That must have been pretty emotional. Yes. And, you know, I would like to take credit for doing something that extraordinary. But we were doing this... Um, uh, my Breaking Through series, which was a seven-minute daily show as determined by the interest on the Internet. No one will watch anything longer than seven minutes these days yeah, fair enough. on the Internet. And one of my young producers in New York came up to me and nervously said, I took the liberty to call Joyce DeWitt to see if she wanted to come on your show, and um, she's amenable to it if you'll talk to her first. And I said, I got mad at her. I said, who gave you the authority? I've never talked to her. We don't, we don't talk to each other. It's... So I go back to my hotel room that night. I'm lying in bed in the dark, and I thought, how stupid, Suzanne, how small, how unevolved, Suzanne. And I went in the next day, and I said, forgive me for my knee-jerk reaction. You are so right. What a brilliant idea. She said, well, the only um, caveat that Joyce has is that she'd like to talk to you first. And I said, absolutely. So I called Joyce the night before, and... um, she said, I just want to make sure you don't ambush me. And I said, oh, my, you don't, we've, it's been years, and so I would never do that. I would not have done that even then either. I said, I, I think this will provide closure for you, for me, for those who cared about that show. Yeah. I said, I have one thing I want to ask you. And she said, yeah. I said, I would like to not see you before the show. I would like the moment that we see each other for the first time in 30 years to be the moment that, is on the air. Oh, you could tell. To that. You could tell, yeah. When she came out, that was, and it was genuine. I, my heart just flooded with feelings at that moment of these two women shared a moment in time like no one else ever will again. There will never be that kind of narrow focus on one particular program because we have such diversity now and the internet, which didn't even exist then. Right. And, uh, weren't we lucky and that's what i really wanted to just provide closure yeah. and gratitude well, and um you know remember the good things well it just tells you the power of the show and the role it played in the world of pop culture and television history and the power of forgiveness absolutely you know, it's a gift to give yourself and um it was like uh, i have very few uh things in my life that i've hung on to i've pretty much worked through everything that was one of those things hanging out there and now that's that's okay, too. And I had the opportunity to talk to John one month before he died. Thirty years had gone by. And I'm having my hair, uh, I'm in the shampoo bowl at a beauty salon, and the receptionist comes up and says, you have a phone call. And I said, can you take a message? I'll call back. She said, um, it's John Ritter. And I sat up with my wet hair, and I went into this little back room, and there was John. And he said, look, I forgive you, which I had to... I had to deal with that a little bit mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of, right. oh, well, okay, yeah. all right. And it was just a bit of a, wow, are we, we're coming from two different places. Right, but I said, right. I went past that, and I said, I can't even tell you what it means to me to talk to you. And he said, look, I'm doing a show called 
eight simple rules, and the writers have written this dream sequence that in my dream, um, uh, Janet and Chrissy are in the dream. And I said, you know, people have wanted to see a reunion for so long. I just feel there's a better way to do it. And I said, I have wanted to work with you ever since I left that show. There was something about you and I that was magic. I don't know if it's a continuation of these two characters or it's two that are like it or something completely different, but we have magic together. And um, if you won't take this the wrong way, now that we've rekindled, let's look for that project. And we both agreed, let's look for that project. And then a month later, he was gone. So we, I found resolution with him. I found resolution with Joyce, and I um, did not walk away from being fired bitter and angry. I used it like judo. When I sat in my living room in that first year after being fired, questioning myself, why did I do it? Why wasn't I just happy with the salary I was getting? It wasn't like it was bad. It just was 10 to 15 times less than the men, but who did I think I was? I was questioning everything, and I heard a voice. I hear voices, and the voice said, why are you focused on what you don't have? Why don't you focus on what you do have? And I thought, what do I have? What do I have? Jeez, I have enormous visibility. Every person in this country knows my name. So I went to my husband and I said, you know, I sing. <laughs> 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 and um, I said, you know, I've done these specials and I'd like to go to Vegas. And so we put together a Vegas act and I went to Vegas and five years later I'm walking on stage with Frank Sinatra he was male entertainer of the year and I was female Las Vegas entertainer of the year and during those times during the day that I was doing nightclubs I started writing my books and I think in the end I think it's all perfect I think I got that enormous visibility I wasn't looking for it I think I think it all leads up to what I'm doing now which is this work I never thought I'd be doing which it would which is incredible. I mean, you, you, you've got this huge <laughs> entrepreneurial side that started with the Thighmaster in the early 90s, and now you've evolved into an incredible line of health and beauty products. And we're going to talk about that and more with Suzanne Summers next on 720 WGN. Stay Plyer on 720 WGN. We're talking to the ever-lovely, and by the way, you, you look amazing, Suzanne Summers. <laughs> Thank you. You're welcome. Now, your business side evolved quickly in the early 90s with the launch of the Thighmaster, and now you have an amazing line of health and beauty products, and I know a little bit about them because my wife is a fan of your moisturizer. So <laughs> tell me a little bit about uh, your products, the makeup of your products. Well, let me roll back just a little bit. Yeah. You know, um uh, the negatives we are sent in life um, can all be turned into judo if we choose to do that. So how did I go from the stories I've just been telling you in Three's Company and all, all of that to this career I have now where I keynote doctors' conventions and teach doctors about this new way to age? It all started with getting cancer 14 years ago. Right. And cancer can either do you in or you can question it and take charge of it and manage it and decide to not let it win. And I believe cancer is manageable. In fact, one doctor I interviewed in one of my books, Knockout, Doctors Who Are Curing Cancer Without Drugs, he said to me, you know, cancer is manageable. I said, what do you mean by that? He said, you give it what it wants, it'll leave you alone. I said, what does it want? He said, it wants good nutrition 
and it wants a detox body. And so I decided instead of chemotherapy that I would uh, change everything about my life, change the way I ate. I looked at my um, diet and lifestyle habits up till that point, and I didn't know anything about nutrition. I thought I was eating right. You know, I, I ate, you know, the standard American diet, but I ate a lot of things out of bags and boxes. And when you do mm-hmm. television series, of which I did a total of 21 years, uh, there's always a craft table, which is all filled with Junk chemical food. things that yeah. are usually orange. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Orange and powdery. Yeah, yeah. And you've, and you've got nervous energy on a, a TV set, so you grab for that stuff. And I, I did a lot of that. I stayed up late. I was writing my books then. I was staying up till 3 in the morning thinking I was ahead of the game because the phone wasn't ringing. I wasn't getting enough sleep. I wasn't managing stress. I wasn't thinking about nutrition as fuel for my body. So cancer made me go, whoa, whoa, what have I been doing to play host to this disease? And I decided from that moment on I would eat as though my life depended upon it. And then I really started looking into the effects of toxins on the human body and the enormous exposure that we've all experienced in the last 50 years, how the planet has changed. And that naturally led into the organic skincare line, certified toxic-free, and the toxic-free and, and organic makeup line. And now we're coming out with household cleaners. Yeah, I think my the wife, way, and that's what my wife loves about it. It's natural. It's organic. You don't. It's gluten-free. There's no yeah. animal testing. I mean, that's you know. I hate to say it, but as much as that's talked about in the press, and as much as you read about those things, they're still far. Those products are still few and far between. Yes, and I, I burst with pride with ours. There's not a single chemical in any of it. it. Even our preservatives are made from Japanese flowers, and it's the most beautiful product. Your, your skin just looks better. And, and the way I talk to women on the shopping channel when I'm selling it, I go, the skin is the largest organ in the body. And if you were to look at your skin under a microscope, what we know as pores would look like big holes. So imagine you've got this covering all over your body that's got big holes in it, and now you're rubbing and slathering lotions and potions filled with chemicals. Well, where's it going to go? It's going to drop into those holes, and then it's going to find its way in your bloodstream, and then it's, it can't do anything good. It's going to go look to do something bad. I think you're talking about things people think about all the time but, but really don't do much about. Right. And I think, I think in today's world, we have to... Uh, The epidemic of environmental diseases is unbelievable. The kids in school have ADD, ADHD, OCD, bipolar, autism, dyslexia, dyspraxia, schizophrenia. It goes on and on, and these are all, they're finding uh, conditions that are exacerbated by toxins invading the GI tract, eating little holes through the GI tract lining, leaking out, they call it leaky gut, and these toxins leak out into the bloodstream and start looking around for areas of opportunity and in children it's going right to their brains and they're getting all these attention deficits and orthodox medicine's response to that is to put all these kids on amphetamines so uh, i was talking to a doctor the other day and i i said i think half the people in my grandchildren's schools are on these uh, drugs he said only half he said that's pretty good he said it's, it's horrible, and he said, not only are these amphetamines, like, uh, I won't even name them, I don't want to get yeah. in trouble. First of all, I'm, I'm just having a hard time with you saying the fact that you have grandchildren, but go ahead. 
<laughs> but but yeah, as I always say to my uh, grandchildren, whenever anything happens, I go because I'm a, uh, and in chorus they all go a different kind of grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. That's cute. That's cute. But you've got all these skin care, makeup, body care. You've got an organics line. You've got supplements that you sell um, as well, and have, and have put together. What are some of the supplements? What you know? There's there's some things for your for bones. I mean, obviously that's an issue for women. Right. Well, I believe in supplementation. If you know, if the if the soil wasn't damaged and the air wasn't full of um, of pollution and acid rain, etc., we wouldn't need to do any of that. But um, the fuel that keeps our bodies running has degraded, so you got to supplement to um, give the body what it needs for optimal uh, performance. So, if uh, the most important thing anybody could take, any if you only took one. You're, I know you're going to think I'm going to say a multivitamin, which is important, but I'm not going to say that. The most important thing every person alive can take now because of toxins is a probiotic every morning and every night. And that is because of that phenomenon I'm telling you about, how the toxins get into the GI tract and um, eat through the lining. It's because the eco-balance is not right from overuse of antibiotics, overuse of, of over-the-counter drugs, from diet sodas, chemical processed foods, the, the balance is off. And so what you have to do to strengthen that barrier wall so you don't get these leaks and have it, you know, wreak havoc in your body is to replace the good flora on a daily basis in a, in a polluted environment that's trying to wipe it out every day. You have to, like, stay ahead of the game. So probiotics. And then from there, then you go to fish oil, essential fatty acids, essential... Um, for life, but the body doesn't make it, so you have to get it from the outside. And um, and our fish has been damaged. It's a terrible. I mm-hmm. mean, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, it'd be better to get it from food, but if it's not there, if the fish you're eating is laden with mercury and PCBs and all those things, uh, heavy metal, um, kind of counterproductive. So the, the human body is 90 trillion cells, approximately. I don't know who counted. Some really anal person, <laughs> but anyway, that's the count. Okay. Let's say uh, give or few on either side. Now, every, every one of those cells has a membrane around it, and that membrane is made of a, a omega-3 essential fatty acids. You get that from coconut oil or olive oil or flax oil or uh, quality uh, grass-fed beef, pork, lamb, um, and the byproducts of those animals as long as it's organic. There's one other thing on the uh, SuzanneSummers.com yeah. that would be of interest. Yeah. Um, we are under a great attack from electromagnetic radiation and electromagnetic frequencies from smart meters from our uh, electric company are putting in. They're creating grids over our houses, and this affects the heart, the brain, the, the electrical system of the body. But cell phones, uh, there finally is research that um, cell phones have are now being associated with... Um, um, men, meningioma tumors and developing glioblastoma and things. Uh, and this was in the British Journal Occupational and Environment, Environmental Medicine uh, Journal. So I uh, am a spokesperson for a company called LifeWave. And they made a chip that you put into your cell phone between the case and the cell phone. Uh, I think it's, I don't know, is, is it 100 bucks? Is it under 100 bucks? Maybe it's 70 but I really should know, but I don't know. Okay. It's such a worthwhile investment. 
It has all the testing on SuzanneSummers.com. Uh, we use the um, most prestigious lab in America to do this testing. It protects you from electromagnetic rads from your cell phone by 98%. And you've seen on television where they're talking about women who keep the cell phone in their you know, breast pocket. They're getting breast cancer and... Uh, little boys are keeping it in their pocket, and they're growing third testicles. Oh, I think I think yeah. people think about this all the time that that all cell phones can cause something like that, and they don't really think about it. And you you wonder if in twenty years you're gonna or ten years you're gonna hear about it like cigarettes, you know, for well, so this many thing years. Is a one time buy. It yeah. doesn't wear out. Yeah, it's um, and I I should know the price, and I don't. But in in the big picture, and if I had uh, small children, and all my grandchildren have this because their brains are not formed yet. Uh, protect their brains, and you just put it between your cell phone case and your cell phone and think of that protection. I think that that's one of the most extraordinary new um, products out there on the market because of of, um, of the enormity of cell phone use. And that's the LifeWave Matrix 2, and you can find that also. Matrix 2. Matrix yeah. 2 on com. Right. Thank you so much for spending some time with us, Suzanne, tonight. It was ab- absolutely a pleasure. <laughs> Thank you for um, stimulating my brain to remember those, those <laughs> very pleasant memories. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much again. Thank Enjoy you. your Sunday. I will. Thank uh, you. All right. Bye. Much more ahead on 720 WGN.